James is one of those hard books, and I don't really have a title for this, just mostly I want to read something this, this afternoon. Uh, James chapter 4, James is written by the brother, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, and James was known as a praying man. And stories or legend or tradition would tell that James even had calluses on his knees because he spent so much time in prayer. And we know that James would be martyred uh, years later after writing this letter. And James writes a letter to a Jewish Christian church uh, filled by a lot of problems. And one of the major problems of the day was uh, class society. God had ordained that in his church, in his house, in, in the Israelite society and in the church, that people would come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that they would share, that they would be equality, that there would be a sense of caring for those of all classes and all races and all colors and, and uh, bringing in the foreigner, the outcast, the widow, and, and meeting our needs together. Uh, but in Roman society, there was a very class system. Uh, you were, there really wasn't even a middle class. It was upper class super upper class and lower class, and then you had women and slaves underneath that. Uh, And that's kind of the way society was. And the church continued to have this problem. How do we be the church in a world that's not like God's world? How do we be the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man? And the kingdom of man, very quickly, early on in the church, was already uh, taking out and and muddling the things that God wanted to do in in his kingdom and in his church. And so James begins to fight against this thing. So there was divisions, there was quarrels that happened a lot on race. I mean, uh, gen, uh, sorry, race as far as Jew and Gentile. There was divisions that happened because of uh, uh, poverty and riches. We don't eat with those type of people. And then there was just all kinds of other stuff happening in this church. And so the letter of James really is written to correct a lot of those things. But the very beginning of the book of James, he opens in chapter 1. And he talks about, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives it generously. Uh, And he says, the one who asks must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man not ought to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded, unstable in all his ways. He establishes from the very beginning, man, when you come to prayer, we come to prayer in a certain way. We come to prayer in the position of humility and ready for God to do what He wants to do, that my mind is clear of my way and seeking forth God's way, and that I gonna, there's a place, there's a, there's a holy place of prayer. It's not prayer like I can just pray for my meal and, Lord, lay me down to sleep so I don't die tonight, and, Lord, bless this food even after I've already eaten half the chips in the Mexican restaurant. You know, like, it's not that kind of prayer. There is a place of prayer where God begins to answer and it's, there's a position that, God, that James is calling us to from the very beginning of the letter that's saying, if you want God to show up in your church, in your life, and, and, and there's going to be some things that God wants to do, He wants to make you this dynamic Christian society, a city on a hill, not hidden. He wants you to be this place, not of gossip and dissension, but a place where all people can belong, where people are, are needs are met, and there's all kinds of awesome things going on, and you're, and you're in the house of the Lord. And he says, but that's not happening, because why? We're not at the right place. We're not in that place where God begins to answer from heaven. And I think sometimes in the American church, we're already there. Actually, I know we're already there. Why isn't God showing up in revival in our churches? Why isn't the huddled, the masses just coming in like we've seen in, in uh, days of old and days gone by, even in the Americas, that, the, the, that people were just running to God? 
that you could preach a sermon on a street corner and you could fill, empty the saloons because God, uh, they, were, they were curious, they were hungry for something more. And let me tell you, the societies in the early days of America were not just great either. Bars and saloons were taking over and, and you, know, the, you had the mining industry and the pelt industry and all these traders and all these types of people in the days of the Great Awakenings. Uh, and you could read men like Charles Finney and uh, uh, George Whitfield and these great preacher men who would go and, and ride on horseback all these communities. Uh, and they would talk about the bars. They would talk about all the immorality. They would talk about the deadness of religion that had permeated the Americas uh, even so very early in our country. But they began to speak with power the gospel. And then there was just an awakening. And people began to empty out the bars and people on the street corners would just be praising God and you would greet people in the haircut place and people just begin to worship God right there on the spot. It wasn't we had to have a church service. It's that people were praying out in the woods and wherever they gathered, people just began to pray. People began to worship God. And that happened in our country that whole towns were converted. You won't read that in the modern history books, but look it up, the Great Awakenings. There's two of them. Uh, all like states and uh, whole parishes, whole counties would be converted because of the great things God was doing. And James has said there is a position of prayer where God begins to change the culture, not of just the church, but the community. And he says in chapter 4, go with me there. He says, what is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source, of your, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, you commit murder. He's talking about hating. And you're envious and cannot attain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us. Think about that. What did He just say? He says the reason that we have so many problems in so many churches, the reasons we have so much divisions and quarrels, the reason we have marriages falling apart, the reason we have families fighting, the reason we have churches bickering, the reason is because we've gotten so focused on pleasure instead of purpose. We talked about this with Samson. Samson forsook his purpose in the Lord for the compromising for the pleasures of this world. He says the same thing had happened that early on in the early church. He says that you are fighting because you have inner needs. Your flesh has things that's not being met. And so instead of going to God and working through that in prayer, you begin to fight and quarrel. There's, there's these uh, itch, or these scratches are these itches you can't scratch, and you don't know what to do with it. So it comes out in anger. It comes out in, you know, if you ever have a bad day at work. How many people had a bad day at work before? Okay. Some of us have a whole two 14-day hitches, you know, that, that'll be bad, right? Uh, so you come home, but guess what do you do? It's not your spouse or your family's fault you had a bad day. But what do you do? You bring it with them, with you, into the home, right? And he's saying that's the thing. You've had this issue with your flesh that is not dealt with, and you've brought it into the church, into the family of God, and it's because you're focusing on trying to fulfill that need through the pleasures of this world, whether it be the cares and the fares, whether it be pride, whether it be material possession, whether it be other relationships, whatever it is, uh, secret sin, it could be anything. 
He says, you're, you're taking it out. And, and then he says, he's, you're not even asking in prayer. And because you're not even asking, you're not receiving. And even if you did ask, you'd be asking with the wrong motives. God, get me out of this situation so I can feel better. God, fix this need so she'll stop complaining to me. God, work out my situation so I'll, I'll be better. You know what I mean? And we're not asking for the motives of heaven to come down and for the lost to be saved and for whole parishes to be converted. We're asking for prayers for us to have a better life. We're asking for prayers for my life not to be so bumpy, for my situation to look a little bit better. And he says, you're asking with the wrong motives. He says, that's not the position of prayer. That's not the place where God begins to answer from heaven. And he says, but guess what? Don't you know that the scripture speaks about a purpose? What is the purpose? He is jealous because he desires to make you a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are created in Christ through him for a purpose. That that purpose is that you would be a temple, a living sacrifice, a living dwelling place where God's Shekinah glory would dwell in you from the days of old, even in ancient Israel with Moses. The reason God made a tabernacle in the midst of his congregation is that God longed to dwell in the midst of his people. And God still today in Gina, Louisiana, La Salle Parish, 2018, God is desiring for his glory to come from heaven and dwell in the midst of the congregation. What happened when God's presence dwelt in the midst of ancient Israel? Fire came down. It consumed the offering. There's a good one. Cloud overshadowed them. The shelter of his wings guided them from place to place on their journey. In the barren land, they had quail when they needed meat. They had bread when they needed food. They needed water when they, out of a rock. That's what happens when God's presence shows up in the midst of his people. They begin to win battles with just Moses' uplifted hands to the glory of God, praising him, interceding, and battles were won. When God's presence comes down in the midst of a congregation, that's revival. That's the awakening. That's what your purpose and my purpose is in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana. Our purpose is not to have a good Christian life. My purpose is not to build up a big church. My purpose is to say, God, I want to be a place where your presence dwells. I want to be a person who is purposed by the Holy Spirit, where the Shekinah glory comes down in my life, dwells in the midst of my being, and permeates in victory, in living water, in the bread of life, and goes out from this place and navigates through this dark and weary world and says, God, you are creating a people for your possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, so that we can proclaim the excellencies who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, that somebody might just get on board the train to glory. Amen? That's good preaching right there. That's what we're here for. And James is saying, how come you don't see that? Why are you so focused on internal problems? You care more about what the pastor's wearing, what the songs are being sung. You care more about if the, your kid's on this or you're doing that and we're going here and we're going there. We're caring about all kinds of stuff going on in, the, in our lives today. And we're missing the miraculous. We're missing out on revival. We're missing out on the glory of God just saturating this place. That God would show up in victory and provision. Amen? Yeah. Ooh, I'm longing for it. I don't know about you. What's your purpose? And he says he is jealous. He jealously desires 
the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Man, I, that's like the Holy Spirit. He's like, come on, come on. Can I come? Can I come? Please, can I, can I, can I get in there? Can, would you just let me? Would you just seek me? Would you just pray? Would you just cleanse yourselves? Would you just get ready? Because I'm excited. I want to be a part of you. God is long from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1. What did he want to do? Walk with them. Talk with them. Dwell with them. And we think we're trying to beg God to come down. Lord, let's find the formula Let's, let's get enough people in the room. Come on. We've got to have a large number of people and sing a lot of fast songs for us to have revival. And that's sometimes the feeling. And there's only four or five people in the room. We think, oh, guess we're not going to have nothing tonight. No, no, no. God is zealous to come down even if two or three are gathered. He's so jealous for his spirit to indwell in his people. Amen. And so he says, but he gives a greater grace. And thank the Lord that when we are falling short, he's poured out his grace upon us. And he's still, God is still striving with us to be a part of us. And so James is like, we've got to correct ourselves. So he says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So God's grace is saying, you know what? You guys are not where you ought to be, but my grace is for you. But here's the catch. You really want that grace, and that grace is a good thing. It's a merited favor. It's something you don't deserve. It's my blessing on those who never deserve it, can't even earn it. But I'm willing to give you my grace, but here's how you get it. I'm opposed to the proud. I'm going to give that grace to the humble. And so he says there's that position of prayer again. You want to get to the position of revival. Here it is. He says, submit, therefore, to God. What does that mean? It means submit my will. I surrender my whole being. I give up my wants, my desires. I give up my needs. I give up my past, my present, my future. And I say, Lord, I am abandoned here. I am a being on this earth who is created for your glory. I'm not living out the full purpose and power and potential of my life. And I say, Lord, I give up striving. I give up everything I have. I don't care what he or she has done to me. I don't care what I have or I don't have. I'm just going to sit in this room. I'm going to sit right here, Lord. I'm just going to be broken, open, and abandoned and say, Lord, I quit. I need you. That's surrendered. That's submission. Submit, therefore, to God. And guess what happens when you do that? Guess who shows up knocking at the door? Look at that next verse. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't you know the devil has no problems with you in a lukewarm church? The devil has no problems with you skipping church every now and then. He's got no problems with you watching those movies that are filled with trash and nudity and violence and, and all those profanities. He's got no problem with you doing all those hobbies and extracurricular activities, and you don't have to get in your prayer life. You know, sometimes we blame a lot on the devil. I think a lot of times he's just letting us alone. Honestly. I think he's just, you know, they're doing pretty good. Let them, let them just go off into nominalism. We don't need the fire. We don't need, I mean, if they start going for a revival, then, 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 then we're going to turn up the heat on them. But, but if they're just going to kind of get through, and then they can give to charity, that's okay. I've got enough wars and famines and plagues going around the world, a little bit of charity, whatever. He's strategic. You know what I mean? He knows. He doesn't care about a lukewarm church. God's going to spit that church out of, their mouth, out of his mouth. Why does he care about a lukewarm church? He's not fighting a lukewarm church. He's fighting the church that's submitting themselves to God. And so he, that's why he says, submit yourself to God. And then what you're going to have to do, resist the devil. And what's he going to do? He's going to flee from you because that's a person that says, God, I'm not giving up. I am not giving up. What does the devil come to do? When Jesus, when does the devil show up in Jesus' life? When he entered into ministry. 
When he said, I'm getting filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized into my purpose, receive my messianic calling. I'm going to submit myself to God and say, God, here's this ministry for three and a half years. I'm going to go on with you. Go fast and pray in the wilderness. What does the devil show up? He does. He's going to test him on all three places of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He's going to test him on every type of sin there was so that Jesus had to overcome it. And he says, what did Jesus do? And the devil doesn't make you sin. You know that whole Flip Wilson thing, the devil made me do it? Most of us are, my, even my age is not old enough to know that. But anyway, I'm giving that for you. That was free for those who are older. Anyway, TV Land, that's what I watched when I was little. All right? Uh, and it, what it, he didn't make him sin. He presented the opportunity. And the flesh would be the one to turn on God's word and go to sin. Said, here's some bread. Here's, here's a stone. Make it into bread. Do what you want. Feed your appetite. Feed the pleasures. Go back to pleasure. Don't you need some pleasure in your life? Don't you need some substance? Don't you need something physical to hold on to? Don't you need things physical, a physical relationship, a physical job, physical money, uh, you know, a physical thing? You need something physical, something tangible to touch and taste and see and smell and feel so that you can feel good in this world. That's what the devil does. He presents it. He can't make you do it, but he presents it before you. That's why he says resist the devil and it will flee from you. Because he has no control over you. He can't make you put the spoon in your mouth and take that. But he's saying, here it is. It smells real good. You really ought to think about this. You don't worry about what God says. You know, just make sure God really is thinking that. No, it's okay. You don't need a revival. Your family, you can't fix them. You know, and, and, you, and you, know, you might as well just go through your life and focus on yourself and go through this. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. And then what does he say? Then draw near to God. He will draw near to you. This verse, it says, draw near to God. Draw there is a part of the Hebrew. Uh, the, that, that word goes back to the time of the temple when the priest would draw near to the court to make a sacrifice upon the altar. And so what he's saying, he's saying, draw near to the place of sacrifice. Draw near to the presence of God, and he will draw near to you. But here's the deal in the priests. In ancient Israelite society, we come up and we have this great tabernacle or a temple, and there in the Holy of Holies, within the, within, uh, the, the inner room of this great tabernacle, this great temple, this building, uh, behind the curtain is the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God dwells. But way over here, as I enter through the only door to get in, there stands in front of me this brazen bronze altar. And before you can get into the presence, a sacrifice has to be made of my sin and the whole sin of the community. And so to draw near to God was to go place past the place of sacrifice and through the narrow way and past the curtain and then into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. But here's the deal. You and I can't go into that place. There had to be a sacrifice made for my sins. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that Jesus Christ not only is the high priest who makes intercession for us, who performs a sacrifice and lays that lamb down, but Jesus Christ himself is the lamb, laying himself down willingly. So Jesus is both the high priest, both the lamb. We have to come to Jesus so we can draw near to God, that Jesus is the way into the presence of God, and that we now, because of grace, can now boldly come before the presence of God to find help in a time of need. That's what Hebrews tells us. And that Jesus allows access into the presence of God. So when we draw near to God, 
It is this place that I stand before. I come and I enter in and I say, I want to draw near to the presence of God, but my sin stands in the way. But I look to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, who laid down his life as a sacrificial lamb. I receive Christ by faith what he's done. And then now I can enter into a place in the presence of God. That's what drawing near to God is. And as I make the steps to draw near to God, then the Bible says that God draws near to you. His presence receives us. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And then here's what drawing near looks like. He kind of expounds on it. He says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. Because I know I can't on my own get past that place of altar. And that priest would put on a robe of righteousness. It would be pure and spotless, without wrinkle. He would wash himself, symbolic of the washing of the Holy Spirit. He'd anoint himself, and he would prepare himself for the presence of God. If we want the presence of God, we better be preparing for it. He's not just going to show up because, you know, we deserve it because we don't. He's not just going to show up to those who didn't have to go past the place of sacrifice with Jesus. He's not going to show up to those who didn't perform or put on the robe of righteousness and set themselves apart and consecrate themselves and say, Lord, I'm pursuing you. I'm setting my life at a holy place and the place of prayer. I'm leaving the things of this world. I'm purifying my mind to receive the word of God. I'm changing my tongue. Lord, I'm putting my thoughts and my mind, my tongue on the word of God. I'm leaving the TV of this world and the entertainment of this world and the relationships of this world. I'm leaving all the junk that fills my mind. I'm coming to the cross. I'm receiving Jesus Christ by faith. I'm falling more in love with what he's done. I'm seeing him there, killing him on self. I'm seeing himself laid down again. And I realize that he was the only way I could get into something good in my life. And so I stay in there I worship him but I don't just stay there I can look ahead and he says keep on going and I can go deeper and deeper and deeper in the presence of God where the glory of God dwelt that no one has even seen the fullness of his glory God says if you would draw near to me his glory would draw near to us. And we know that when the, the sacrifice was made and the priest would go on the altar, even places when Solomon, we talked about it uh, last week with uh, Craig Franklin, the glory of God filled the temple, you know, and it just would exude out. And even people couldn't even go in there because the glory of God came out. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Weep that and mourn. It says, let your laughter be turned into mourning. Laughter there is about those uh, it's not bad to laugh. It's not bad to tell jokes. He's talking about that those who are so concerned with having fun in this world, sometimes we're going to have to leave all that entertainment stuff and leave all the pleasures of this world and say, God, I believe what's inside the glory of God is better than any entertainment, any pleasure out here. It's the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit and His presence dwelling in me. So I turn from that, and I mourn over my sin, and it says... Uh, all that stuff, and that's the place of repentance. Humble yourself, Prince of the Lord. He will exalt you. One place it says we humble ourselves in the Prince of the Lord. He will exalt us in due time because that process is happening in us. Um, I'm praying for our church to get to that place in the presence of God. Uh, for the last four years, we have been on a journey, I think, even on Sunday nights, just to say, God, we, we are praying persistently for a move of God and, and all of the great men of old and, and the men I listen to now that I would 
you know, kind of call and believe my path, you know, that I receive their words, all would say uh, the, the thing that happened in their church that changed their church was a prayer meeting. It w- and that's what happens in every revival. It's a prayer meeting. The, the Wales revival, it was those, those widow women and that young men that began to pray and that God just began to move across uh, Wales uh, in the early 1900s. Uh, it's prayer. It's, it's that place of prayer, that position of prayer where people are hungry and say, God, we're, we're leaving behind all that we know, and we're coming to this place and saying, God, we're desperate for your glory. We're drawing near to you. And as we draw near and we make steps towards you through Jesus Christ, we just believe your glory will come down. And I'm going to hold God to his word, that if he says it, he will do it. And so if I'm not seeing God draw near to us, that must mean there's failure not on his part, but on our part. That there must be some reason that I'm asking selfish prayers. Or maybe there's things that God wants to do with me. Or maybe there's things like that, that widow and the unrighteous judge. That there's got to be some persistence. That Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. That's repetition. That's saying, God, I'm, I'm banging on the door. I'm not going to stop until I see the Holy Spirit manifested in my life. And I know I'm not worthy of it. Uh, there's been a few times in my life where I've just really felt the glory of God come down. Some of it has been... The moment I got baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time in a revival service, I know a few times I woke up on the floor, didn't know how long I'd been there just because the glory of God came down. I don't see that so much anymore, especially for our young people. I hate that they miss out on that. Uh, I, I, I've been in, in services, um, and I think Beth's in the nursery, but we were in a service one time. I don't want to embarrass her. Oh, she's over there. I see her. But uh, just revival happened in our church. It wasn't anything demonstrative in the community, but for me, and, and I think for Beth, that, that night, that weekend, uh, with that evangelist, just moved powerfully in our lives, for, for, for I know, for me, for sure, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, got slain in the Spirit, uh, Beth got touched by God that night, and uh, she was, and, and Beth's not a, a demonstrative person, you know, she's shy, uh, it, for those who don't know her, she's not, you know, for those who know her, she's not shy, but, but man, you know, she got lost in the Spirit for several hours, at this revival service in an altar in our home church. And uh, we were locking up the building, and she was still going. She was the only, last one here. It was like an hour into it. I remember we were shutting the lights off, and they had to get a woman to go wake her up out of it because she was just shouting and screaming and uh, you know, worshiping God, and she don't remember any of it because she was just lost in the presence of God. Uh, that's what God has for us. I'm not saying that's got to happen all the time, but there should be something that we say, God, I'm drawing near to something. I'm drawing near to my purpose of being a place where your presence dwells. And how often do I feel the overwhelming, glorious presence, that, the same presence that brought fire down and, and water from a rock and manna out of nothing, out of dew, you know, that same presence is in me. And do I allow him to manifest? Do I allow him to come out? Do I allow him to saturate my life or as I just go to church? And I hear some good songs, and I hear some good preaching. I say, amen, pastor, help me to be a better person. But I never experienced the presence of God, the tangible Shekinah glory, manifest presence of God. I'm praying for that for our church, continually praying for that for our church. We need an outpouring of the tangible manifest. I'm not talking just a good service. I'm talking about not just one where one or two. I'm talking where the glory of God, like Craig Franklin even mentioned in our, our message last week, where when the glory of God showed up in Isaiah's life, he fell down on his face prostrate before God as just, woe is me, I'm undone, because that's the glory of God. And there's a, if you look at the Great Awakenings, and there's a man named Benjamin Abbott, 
Uh, he's not a very famous man, but he, he was so uh, caught up by God and his call, and he didn't know how to read. He, he barely didn't even know how to read at all, and he was called to preach, and he'd open up his Bible. He would just say, God, you're telling me to go to this church down the road? I can barely read, much less do anything. I can't even speak. And he said, Lord, I'm just going to open up my Bible, and whatever I see, I'm going to read it, and you're going to have to speak through me. And that's how he began to preach. Now, I'm not saying that's a great method, but I'm just saying that's the dependency on the presence of God. He would go up to the church. I don't know what I'm doing. Here's the Bible. I'm going to read something, and God would begin to speak. I'm telling you, people began to fall on their faces in the presence of God so much that there was so much conviction for some sinners, they would jump out of windows because of the conviction and the presence of the glory of God was so strong they couldn't handle it. That there were people, they were just being overtaken. These are Baptists and Methodists, by the way, overtaken by the presence of God. I, I think about in, in uh, my college life, when I was in a lot with non-churchy people, the hardest place to have revival is in a church. It is. These young kids that didn't know anything about God, they didn't think about Pentecost, they didn't know anything about AG or oneness or anything, they didn't know anything about that. They're all, most of them were Methodists and Baptists and and we, we had invited them over for pizza and, and video games. And then we said, ha-ha, bait and switch. We're going to have a prayer service in our, in, our, in our apartment. Me and my three roommates, we had this two, two, uh, three-bedroom, two-story apartment. And uh, had them over. They got to play the video games. We said, hey, hey, you know we're all part of our campus ministry. We all, you know a lot of you are in our small group, some of you are visitors. But guess what? We're here to pray. And so we turned off that. We put the pizza up. And we said, hey, we're just going to pray. I began to preach. And again, I'm not called at that time to be a preacher. I just felt the presence of God. We knew what we were doing ahead of time. God had drawn us. We had been praying and fasting uh, for something to happen. And I tell you what, every young man, there was about 15 of them, were on their faces before God for over an hour. College students who could be drinking and partying in any frat house on that campus. And that night, we saw multiple young men just fall under the presence of God. We laid hands on them. Man, God was struggling through demonic stuff. We saw uh, one young man. You met him, Mike Towers. He was our missionary uh, to uh, uh, Indonesia. Thank you. And uh, that night, he just fell on the power of God. For the first time, he was a young Catholic man, felt the presence of God, tangible, manifest presence of God. That moment changed his life. Because a young group of college guys who didn't know nothing, I was 19, didn't know nothing, Young, immature, thought I knew everything, right? Didn't know nothing. And just said, you know what? I'm responding to something that is inside of me, and I'm tired of nominal Christianity, and I'm just going to believe God's going to show up tonight in my house. And he did. That's where we've got to get. I don't want that fire to keep burning in me. It's so hard to keep it in an American church. I want that fire to burn where the Holy Spirit power and tangible presence of God comes and we just see God move and do things we could never do. Because if we would draw near to God, He would draw near to us. But we've got to find that position of prayer. Amen? Amen? It's not about us. I want to be who He wants me to be. I want to be... He's jealous to make us into temples of the Holy Spirit. And it's not about Baptist or Pentecostal or any of that. We have a purpose to be the dwelling place of God's tangible presence. That's our purpose. Amen?